This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Webradio.com, headed into, uh, I guess we've got the de facto nominees from the uh, three major political parties, uh, CNN, I guess in some effort to sway the California primary vote, went ahead and reported, and there were several others, the Associated Press was complicit in this, uh, that Hillary Clinton is the de facto presumptive nominee from the Democrat Party, which is quite historic because we've actually never had a presumptive nominee be a treason suspect. So... You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Yes, I'm a fan of history, and I recognize the uh, historic significance of Hillary Clinton's rise to power in the Democrat Party. Um, remains to be seen if Bernie Sanders continues the uh, the fight. Uh, as many of y'all know, the Democrats have these things called superdelegates, which uh, basically are not necessarily assigned per state, and they can kind of vote for whoever they want. It doesn't matter who wins uh, state primaries, and that has kind of caused accusations that the Democrat process is fixed. You look at the Republican side of things, and uh, Donald Trump will most likely get all of the... uh, He's already the presumptive nominee, but at this point, he's most likely going to get I believe the pledge delegates is the semantic that he doesn't have, but he should win that uh, and officially become the uh, presumptive nominee (laughs) with the most pledged delegates. So, lots going on. Gary Johnson is now the nominee for the Libertarian Party. So, we have three distinct characters, all with different degrees of experience, or bad experience in the case of Hillary Clinton, that are vying to lead the most economically prosperous country, the most powerful military in the world. <clears throat> so, does it trouble you that it's a undocumented Republican, crooked Hillary, and Gary Johnson? Kind of troubles me a little bit, but you know, that's what we have, folks. In, Cle- in uh, the Republican Party, be headed to Cleveland from July 18th to July 21st, and uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. There, we'll be looking at. Uh, Voting on one ballot. Looks like Donald Trump will be the choice for us. Um, it's been interesting to see, though, a lot of uh, folks on, in the, on the Republican Party have been a little reticent to attach their names to Donald Trump, um, basically because it's very unpredictable what he's going to say. This fight he's having with this Mexican judge on the Trump University. It's not a Mexican judge. This guy was born in Indiana. He's got uh, um, parents are from Mexico, apparently. He's f- f- second generation, whatever he is. He's an American. He was born in Indiana. So these attacks that Donald Trump is pushing against this guy, they're not really working out well. And it's causing a lot of divisiveness in the Republican Party. Newt Gingrich has come out against this, which has probably knocked Newt off of the vice president list. Um, whether or not that was actually really going to happen or not, it was probably unlikely in my opinion. I'm not sure if the Republicans really want to have two older white males on the ticket. We'll see what uh, what ends up transpiring. But we had Paul Ryan have to come out today and... Uh, dismiss these uh, 
topics about Donald Trump. And it's funny because on Friday, a very dismal jobs report came out. And Trump's strength, in theory, is his strength on the economy, his strength in creating jobs and creating a, several businesses and creating wealth. And instead of that being the, uh, the topic of the weekend, it's his uh, vendetta against <clears throat> the judge that released a lot of uh, testimony and, and a lot of court records about this Trump University thing that um, looks like uh, he's being sued in civil court for it. So lots of things going on. Um, I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit today, though, about uh, the military. We just had uh, the 72nd anniversary of D-Day, and um, just uh, it, it shows you that, that our, our kids today – when they get scared and offended by chalk outlines on some of our college campuses, that their little safe spaces they have to run to is in a, a – and you juxtapose that against the safe spaces that our 18 to 21-year-olds jumped out of or hopped out of back in 1944. That shows you how far we've gone down as a country with this era, this aura of political correctness and everybody gets a participation ribbon versus standing up to the Nazi war machine, jumping out of planes and hopping out of uh, uh, ships against a well-armed, well-entrenched German machine. I don't think we have the capability to do that anymore. I don't think we'd be able to do that. David, what do you think? You think if we actually had to step up to the to the plate that we'd be able to actually do an invasion. I'm not denigrating our troops. We're actually at the, our uh, a very uh, documented lack of readiness. But do you think we'd be able to draft up a bunch of a bunch of 18 to 21 year olds that uh, tr- get them through basic training in a year and be able to go fight? Well, to answer your question, our military today, the boots on the ground today are better than they ever have been. There's just not enough of them. The boots on the ground today are volunteers. The people that, that uh, invaded Normandy, many of them were volunteers, but they, there was still a draft as well. When I was in the service, you had we still had the draft. And uh, that caliber of person was not near as good as what we have today being an all-volunteer military. If push came to panic, yeah, I think that we could, and I, I would even go so far as to say keep it as a volunteer military. The volunteer uh-huh. that goes and fights is much better than the draftee that's looking for ways to get out, to dodge. Uh, look at our presidents. Look at uh, Clinton. He was a draft dodger. Look at Obama. He's not even a piece of garbage uh, draft dodger. Uh, Hillary never served. Uh, Trump has never served. And I, you know, I am very big on people that are going to run our government, give money to our military. They should have military experience, in my opinion, of some sort. Right. Um, Could we do it today with the technology that we have and the people that we have? If Congress would get off their dead ass and fund it, then yes, we could. If we're going to nanny-panny around like we have with Obama as the joke of a commander-in-chief, 
then no, we couldn't. Um, we're we are doing the best job that we can with both hands and one leg tied behind us right now in Iraq, in uh, Afghanistan, and any place else we have troops stationed. We are doing it. I say we. Our military is doing the best job that they possibly can with everything going against them. American people, if they want to continue to live the life that we've had the luxury of living, best kick their representatives in their ass, get funding for the military, tell whoever is the commander-in-chief, which has been a joke now for at least eight years, if not longer. 7.3 years. <laughs> Almost eight you know, that we, you know, as Reagan said, you don't have to have a strong army to fight. You have to have a strong army to keep from having a fight. And that's basically what we need right. is a strong military that we don't have today. We're, we'd be okay, but we're not where we should be. Technologically, I agree. I think technologically we're very strong, and we've almost had a, a, no, no, an over-reliance. No, no, wait a second. When you're having to scrap planes to, to keep other planes flying, you're not technologically strong. By the same token, we we talk about our smart bombs. When we're damn close to running out of them, it doesn't matter how good the technology is. If you ain't got the, if you ain't got them, you ain't got them. Well, and that's an interesting thing. I, that's one of the articles I wanted to talk to you about that I had read. Is that we are for our uh, for our B two bombers. We're basically, uh, according to the article I read, we're going to museums and putting parts. Uh, and cannibalizing the museum. And and the article I read said our military budget was down 25%. And I I don't... I cannot believe that. I I think that... uh, I I, I don't know. I think that by the the technology for a B-2 and the F-16, that is... Those are older planes. So to me... To be able to We're rest, to be able to fit those, yeah. we only have thirty percent of the capability of the F-16s to be able to fly right now. But that's not technology; that's just uh, retrofitting metal, right? That's just having basic supplies. Well, no, no, and no, it's still technology because those are those are still some of the most. Just because, of, like the B fifty two, say, oh my God, that that sucker is seventy five years old now, or sixty years old, or however it is, but. They have continued to update and update and update, and yes, it has technology in it that's that's very good technology. It, it's it's you know, this is where Obama has done his best work. Is that we talk about immigration, and whenever you say the word immigration, it's Mexico. That's not true. That's not. That's only a small portion uh-huh. of the problem. You say military. And we and people will say, well, Obama's taking care of the military because we have the the technology. We don't have to have troops. That's bull. That's right. only because people don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Every issue, medicine, Obamacare. It's not just one thing. It's the combination of the son of a bitch in the White House has been choking everything to death. And it's not just one issue. It's all of the issues that involve. Uh, the VA, that's part of it. Right. Why do I want to join the military and find out that I'm getting screwed when I come out as a veteran? I can't get what you promised me. Right. So it's, it's we're, in, we're in a 
big mess. I think almost every facet, as you were saying, is is weaker uh, in the seven years. So that old question, are you better off now than you were seven years ago? Uh, individually, some people maybe. If you, especially if you're looking at the you know the death throes in 2008 of uh, some of the, the the housing industry economy, some you could say yes. Personally. I'm better off. But is the United States better off uh, as a worldwide power? Certainly not. Uh, it has, has, uh, has our economy grown in uh, lieu of all the debt and social spending programs? Of course not. Uh, our interest rates still extremely low, and our debt has doubled. And we haven't factored, n- when normalized interest rates return, how much of an impact that's going to have on our economy. Right now... Uh, the, the interest on the debt is one of the largest expenditures. When interest rates normalize, it'll probably exceed national or uh, the debt or um, defense spending by 2020. That's what they're predicting right now. And that's pretty scary. And that's why the debt has become a national security problem that some Republicans are finally starting to talk about. And we've got to find a way where we can cut spending enough that we can start working on the debt because otherwise it will continue to choke us and we haven't even seen anything until interest rates normalize about choking. We'll be back in a couple minutes with Todd Ream from georgiapundit.com. See you in a minute on Greg's List. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF 
A non-profit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's Just Live, the home of serious journalism, only on AmericasWebRadio.com. We started off talking some national and uh, international politics. Wanted to bring it back to uh, the state of Georgia. We wrapped up the, the Georgia State GOP convention this past, uh, well, it's really uh, several days long. It's not just a weekend. Uh, but uh, Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com, is joining us now. And Todd was able to get some uh, pretty exclusive uh, interviews with some of the uh, the different uh, leaders uh, uh, in and from Georgia, including our uh, our newly, well, uh, our most recent elected Senator, David Perdue. Todd, welcome back to Greg's. How are you doing? Thanks, Greg, and I should be congratulating you on your ticket to the big show in Cleveland. Yep, I um, am looking forward to that. It was a great honor to uh, to be selected as a delegate. I appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, I guess I wanted to ask you just what uh, what your general thoughts were. Uh, first things that come to mind about the uh, the convention: some of the good, some of the bad, and maybe some of the ugly. Well, I was having a conversation with somebody else who were there, who was there, and we both agreed it was a pretty calm. Uh, convention uh, I might even go so far as to say it was much more boring than I had thought it would be <laughs> um, there was a lot of build up to it and I think two things were in play one is that it is kind of a new set of timing for us um, You know, normally it would have been a little bit earlier in the year um, but it was right about that time when everybody was either just got out of school or had been out for maybe a week, and so you, I, I, I suspect there were a lot of folks who might otherwise have gone who didn't go because they were on vacation. Mm. Um, and the whole primary schedule is what meant that is the reason we had the convention in June. Right. But we've been through the uh, May, the March SEC primary where we had a lot more going on than we have in previous years for the presidential race. Right. Then you had the post-primary continuation of the fight with the with the Cruz people um, going and getting delegates everywhere they could. Then you had the primary election, and so it's been a pretty full year so far for Republicans. And I think there was a lot a lot of folks got there and had been kind of tired, and so the the kind of floor fight that I thought might happen and, and really kind of um, assumed was going to be the big news just didn't happen. Everybody was too tired. Yeah, and I think some of that was that uh, all the other candidates had pretty much, uh, well, they'd all suspended uh, their campaigns. So we didn't quite have this level of drama when I applied to be a delegate. Um, you know, the state party folks told me there were more than 200 applications received. And that yep. was when, uh, I, and I, and, you know, I thought that there may be a chance for a, a second or third ballot, which, which really piqued my interest in the whole process and that we would actually see potentially a brokered convention once it became evident that we wouldn't i do think a lot of folks said you know 
my interest in the convention is not as strong. We've already voted two or three times this year, <laughs> including the primary and the primary on the on the twenty fourth. Uh, that also had very little drama, as uh, I think you put it, the Empire Strikes Back in uh, one of your morning newsletters. But uh, yeah. almost every every incumbent that was challenged uh, won, and usually by hefty margins on uh, May 24th. So, Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, overall, that's been the, the story this year has been that there's no really super interesting story to tell. <laughs> The, the a drama free or a boring convention, as you would say. Um, yeah, and, and you know the some of the results in the elections. Randy Evans was reelected as national committee man, and I think that obviously that's one of the smartest things the the GOP has done. And uh, you know, my friend Ginger Howard was elected as national committee woman, and I did think it was cool that uh, they had kind of a unity uh, meeting on stage uh, when Ginger won, when uh, Linda Umberger and uh, Mary, uh, Maria Zolo. Or, Sorry, I always get her name wrong. But to Marie Zach, um, we're all on stage and uh, pledged to support the unity ticket. And um, I think we had a big group hug to end it all off. Yeah, exactly. Because that's sometimes you don't exactly see that. Now, David Perdue was there, and you got some, uh, um, I guess, exclusive interviews with him. What uh, he's been pretty outspoken about the process is broke. We're not talking about the serious issues. I think he's finally getting his CEO uh, grounding up in uh, D.C. and his frustration with the process is becoming more and more evident. What did you glean from uh, your conversations with him? Well, as you know, he had not, he, he had been saying things that were more close to pro-Trump than a lot of people were saying right? Um, through the primary process, but never really took sides with anybody. Um, and he is, he said to me that he, he is fully on board. His, there, there is no equivocation in his support. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think what's interesting about it is that, you know, there, there has been a suspicion among a number of people, um, he, he may have even said it, but there's been a su- suspicion that he has talked to Trump several times and that Trump's people and his folks have talked about how the outsider campaign worked in Georgia in 2014. But I think what's interesting is of all the folks in the Senate or in in either House of Congress, he's probably one of the few that Trump would consider a peer in terms of their business acumen, in terms of their business history. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way he, the kinds of conversations he might have with Trump are much more likely to be, uh, to sort of begin from uh, an equal footing or, or a more respectful place. Right. Um, they'll be and, starting and off on it. On probably it from, part of what's going on there. So they'll they'll be looking at each other as uh, businessmen, Fortune 500 company CEOs, and talking from an economic perspective rather than how do we get more votes from the 18 to 24 year bracket. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I suspect that they've probably run into each other over the years. You know, they both travel in fairly rarefied air um, you know a, a step or two above the normal business class um, and so I, I think that means any relationship they have or develop is going to be a little bit different than 
you know, if, if you're a, a Washington-based mm-hmm. politician and have been for 20 years, and you're trying to figure out how to get your get your mind around what Trump is doing. Yeah, do you see any danger of uh, some of our folks, not just Purdue, but some of the other leaders, you know, going ahead and hitching their horse to the, the Trump train or the Trump cart because of the unpredictability of what Trump may say and that, uh, you know, it's not too hard to connect dots. If you've been really outspoken in support for Trump, then you can quickly become labeled something that maybe isn't accurate, but something that's easy for the media to try to uh, pin on you. Well, I, I think that's I think that's true of, of of anyone you choose to associate yourself with in politics publicly. Um, that if they go down or if they say something embarrassing, it will eventually be attributed to you. And and you know I think that is there's an extent to which that's a kind of a new dynamic. Um, it didn't used to be that if you endorsed a candidate or supported him or gave him money or whatever, mm-hmm. that you necessarily adopted as your own every single position he <laughs> yeah. ever took or would take in the future. And, you know, I think that, I think it's partly the, the quickening pace with which people discuss things, um, aided and abetted by social media, mm-hmm. where... You know, I saw people um, saying, oh, you know, David Perdue um, endorsed Trump. That must mean he has the exact same feelings about the judge in the Trump University case. Right. Um, when I think historically we, we would have said, well, you know, he's he said he supports Trump um, and he supports these three or these seven or however many positions Trump's taken, but that doesn't mean he supports everything Trump has ever done or ever said. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's um, that's one of my qualms with uh, you know the, the 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 laziness, I guess, of not just social media but the media in general. Um, I mean, and I know some of the uh, um, uh, political websites. That's this is what they they're bred from is you know trying to connect dots and, and blaming people and tying people to uh, what's uh, what may be a negative perception of something. I mean, clearly, uh, you know, I don't think somebody endorsing Trump over Hillary Clinton means they endorse everything Donald Trump is going to say from here on out. Nor does that mean that Hillary Clinton's a hundred percent wrong. I think she's in the mid nineties being wrong, but um, she's you know it doesn't mean that. Uh, it doesn't mean you support everything they say or do. Uh, what do they say? An 80% uh, friend isn't a 20% enemy? And we're Well, <laughs> they used to say that anyway. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, um, the, and, and, you know, I, you, ascribe it to, uh, you ascribe it to laziness. I, I would say it's more uh, combativeness or even uh, cussedness or just plain meanness where everybody is... Not everybody, but a lot of folks really seem to enjoy the attention they get from trashing other people. Yeah, it's much easier to try to bring somebody down than to speak uplifting of them. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about some Georgia stuff. Uh, we've got a little break here coming up, but when we get back, there was uh, news from the uh, a casino study in Georgia just came out, and uh, it looked like it was kind of... Uh, I always am leery about whoever um, 
hires the study group, but this study group was uh, it was basically from the people that uh, the Booster Club for downtown Atlanta, and it came back with fairly negative numbers for having a casino in the state. And I know this is an issue that you've followed uh, pretty closely, Todd, and wanted to see what your feedback was. Uh, Dave, you want to go ahead and take our break here? Okay, we're going to go ahead and take our break here at the uh, the midpoint of the show, but we'll be back talking some uh, local stuff that has, I think, a much broader national uh, economic impact. We're with Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com. See you in a minute on Greg's List. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Whether cruising the strip at a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Here with uh, Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com, the uh, widest circulation morning newsletter for all you politicals and uh, folks that just like to keep up with current events. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about the national scene and the state uh, state party convention over the weekend. Uh, an interesting study came out today. Todd Reams' blog covers, or the newsletter covers, a lot of stuff from federal, but uh, a lot more focus on the state. And um, basically a, uh, a big push has been going on in the past year or two in Georgia. One is for paramutual uh, horse racing uh, gambling and another for the more conventional gambling that everybody recognized slot machines mgm casinos all those the big glamour and glitz of a vegas style casino coming here to atlanta and the uh, issue got some traction last year ended up nothing really passed the casinos are back for round two which meant uh some of the anti-casino people were trying to get some facts and figures together for our legislators to consent to consider uh, a study just came out, uh, the results of it came out, by, and it was commissioned by Central Atlanta Progress. Uh, 
This is a downtown business coalition that basically tries to uh, boost uh, commerce in downtown Atlanta. The study came out pretty negative towards results that uh, a casino uh, building one in downtown Atlanta or putting one there would bring. And Todd, I just wanted to get your feedback on the issue. Uh, I think in our discussions, you have not been a huge fan of bringing casinos here in the first place. Does this study help reaffirm that for you? Um, and just give me your thoughts on that. Well, I'm always opposed casino gambling. Um, I would invite you to, when you're in Cleveland, there's a lot of beautiful things to see. The Hall of Fame is incredible. Uh, go and see the lake a little bit. Maybe check out Put-In Bay if you get a chance. But while you're up there, you should also do some uh, policy research. There's a place called Thistledown just outside of Atlanta. It used to be a pretty ritzy horse racing track. Um and they still have horse racing, but it's no longer called a racetrack. It's called a racino, racino because it <laughs> combines horse racing with an indoor casino. Okay. Um, and there are a couple points. The, the, the gist of the study was that there is not this whole huge market that is going to be created by new casinos. It's that you're going to display, be displacing part of the market. You're going to be taking some business away from existing casinos in neighboring states. Um, You'll be taking some business away from the lottery and and that uh, horse racing has not been a huge, great, huge, long-term economic uh, engine in other cities. Here's the other part of it. Once you have horse racing, it's like anything else. There is some novelty the first couple years. Once that goes away and levels off, they find that it's more and more difficult to compete. It's more and more difficult to draw folks uh, back to the track. Mm-hmm. And so the pattern in most of these uh, racetracks around the nation is that they eventually become part casino. They they look to expand into off-track betting. Um, and that really plays into what we've been talking about here in Georgia about in politics a lot the last you know, three to four years, which is the idea of crony capitalism, of of government being a handout machine Mm -hmm. for businesses. Because once a business starts um, that wasn't here before, it goes from you have to attract jobs to now you have to protect them. (laughs) And so the next step is, you know, we need expanded gambling or expanded this or this or we need some tax breaks, or we need some incentives, or some other stuff. And it becomes a never-ending chase for those dollars that that really just weren't there as strongly to begin with as, as you thought they were going to be anyway. And, and so it's just, it, it plays into a lot of the bad stuff that I think is become endemic in both government and society in the last few years. So you're saying it's almost predictable that bringing in a horse racing or casinos or both at the same time would, in within 10 years, probably enrich a bunch of lobbyists, but uh, would, would lend itself to needing uh, continuous annual tax breaks and special favors. Um, because, and, and because we can see the, the law and expansion of gambling. I'm, I, I'm not saying it's almost predictable i am saying it is absolutely predictable that that is what that's the that's the path that i think 
uh, horse racing leads us down. Well, I guess the weakest argument that I see that uh, this study brought up is that, oh, Georgia, you know, it would cannibalize business going to other states. I, I don't really care if, if, if Las Vegas loses some Georgia business because we uh, offer uh, something here that's in competition to that. So that, that part, to me, I don't really care about. What, what would bother me, though, is some of the uh, stories that I've heard where the locals end up, um, you know, spending all of the revenue that they have on it, and they end up, it ends up being a little bit of a, a societal problem where people, uh, the more availability they have for it. I tend to think that with the rise of online gambling, there are plenty of avenues already for people to become addicted to gambling, and I think we're also missing out on a lot of uh, underground gambling that goes on. I'm sure there's plenty of high-stakes poker games and other uh, black market casinos going on right now that uh, maybe are a little bit under the radar. So I've I, uh, even heard of politicians having uh, poker fundraisers. I have, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, I will say Texas Hold'em is a game of uh, skill, not chance. So, is it recognized as as uh, not gambling? <laughs> I be- I, well, I, the 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 argument can be made <laughs> that Texas Hold'em is a game of skill, uh, and you're not playing against the uh, house. So, um, I've I've seen that, <laughs> and it's 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 a nuance, of course. But uh, I, what- I'm not I'm not super worried about. Guys hanging out in their basement or garage or at a bar playing poker. That doesn't bother me. It is the industrialized gambling um, that I think is the biggest detriment. And and I think if you think back to this year's um, fight over religious liberty, Mm -hmm. once you attract an out-of-state industry into Georgia, you are giving up something of what makes Georgia unique. I think that... If the religious liberty legislation fight had taken place before uh, the film industry got established in Georgia, it would it would have been a lot closer. But once you import an industry that has its base in Hollywood, you've also imported some of the Hollywood values. Well, yeah, you, and, you have. And, you know, we need to remember that we're not talking about friendly poker games. We're not talking about uh, you know. Uh, guys racing horses for fun we're talking about an industry uh, and everything that comes along with that from lobbyists to uh, to influence on our government yeah, well, and I and I really wish that uh, you know everybody could have this attitude against cronyism in the first place. The Atlanta streetcar has more than sixty problems, which have to be solved in a week or it gets shut down. Which means more than fifty million dollars of federal money will go down the tubes. And I think we had about a fifty million dollar match here in Georgia. So I guess Todd, where, you know, philosophically, where do we draw the line? Um, the film industry gets tax credits of twenty to thirty percent. Uh, of their um, of their costs, and I know from uh, speaking to folks in the industry that uh, it's about thirty percent less to film something in Atlanta. Which on a, a film that has a fifty million dollar budget, that's a lot of money that can be spent on marketing or to, to just uh, make the profit. So most people think the film industry tax credits are good, yet something like the casino industry, who wouldn't necessarily get any tax credits. In fact, the argument is they would be paying a lot of money towards the Hope Scholarship. You know where do we draw the line on what's a good public investment versus what's one that won't lead to good outcomes? Well, I, I draw the line that it's all horrible. Um, <laughs> I, you know, but when when you come down to it, I think you have to do a, a uh, 
you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. Are are we getting more out of the out of being Hollywood South than we gave up um, in terms of foregone revenue? Um, but I think that any realistic um, any realistic forward-looking view at do we want to try to attract a new industry has to understand that there are not just uh, balance book balance sheet costs and benefits, but that there that there are with some industries some potential uh, cultural costs, um, and that has to be part of what we consider. Uh, and, and you know we have to look at what the inevitable results are. Um, can you say today that it was inevitable that Hollywood would become more influential in Georgia politics as a result of importing a bunch of jobs from Hollywood? Yeah, you probably can. <laughs> um, we darn sure can say, looking forward, that if we're going to try to bring a new industry here, we need to consider what the effects are going to be, not just... Um, in terms of those direct job creation, but what are the other costs that we're going to be picking up today, and how is the industry going to expand um, the siphon they have in our pocketbook already? Well, that, because you bring- that you know that is the natural progression of businesses that are based in part on the public largesse is to get more more of other people's money. Of course, it's it's much easier to invest other people's money and privatize the profits while you socialize the uh, the risk or the losses. Uh, you brought up an interesting point about. Gosh, if I could only <laughs> think of any other industries that have been doing that in, in Atlanta recently. Oh, I ha- I mean we I, we've already named. Uh, well, I guess the streetcar was. I don't know if that was its own uh, failed entity, the streetcar named debacle. But uh, you talked about bringing in new industries, and I did want to bring up this uh, uh, the Camden County effort to try to bring in the space industry, um, which that means like space, like traveling to outer space. Like uh, Independence Day 2 is coming out on June 24th. So what we're talking about that kind of space, not personal space or safe spaces like uh, our folks at Emory need. But uh, this, is, this is a new industry. Uh, SpaceX, which is uh, a for-profit uh, entity uh, in space travel, but they're always looking for, uh, I'm sure, friendly states to do business in. So that's a that's a very new industry for Georgia, Todd. So what do you think about? But, but I suspect that once they find a friendly state to do business in, <clears throat> they're going to uh, eventually they'll get around to trying to uh, make it a friendly <laughs> state to do business with. And 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 you know eventually they will need tax breaks and. And this and that, and they'll need stuff changed so that they can uh, so that they can um, attract rocket scientists to Camden County who might not otherwise think that's where they want to live. Yeah, well, and that's kind of the, the I guess the the struggle that we have with the investment of uh, public money versus private money. Um, and uh, the question of whether or not a public investment in something is benefiting private companies and not the public as a whole, or uh, or uh, what um, what the final benefit is, and how much government assistance via the taxpayer do some of these private companies need? But you know, I I, I think it's clear that uh, Georgia politicians have not been super. Uh, have not been particularly great at figuring out what are going to be the unintended consequences down the road. 
Um, and, you know, we don't expect them to be uh, fortune tellers, but, but perhaps a little bit more skepticism about the promises of industry mm-hmm. and a little bit more foresight about what the next thing you're going to ask us. Yeah, well, yeah, I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that with you. We got our final break here. I wanted to follow up with you for about five minutes on the on the other side of that. Just uh, the Airbnb issue didn't really get voted on in the assembly, but I'm actually seeing people complaining about it uh, online now. And these are normally free market Republicans. So uh, we had a good discussion about that about six months ago. Wanted to uh, reignite that, so to speak. And if you can hold on, we'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's list. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Buzz off with Lawyer Liz. Join me each week, Wednesdays at 2 o'clock, as we talk drones, Internet of Things, and technology. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's This Live, the home of serious journalism only on America's Web Radio.com. Wrapping up here with GeorgiaPundit.com's very own Todd Ream. And Todd, I'm sure you probably recall this. We had a, a pretty engaging discussion on this very program. Uh, prior to the session, it was, uh, it's about Airbnb.com. If you're unfamiliar with Airbnb.com, they're kind of like the Uber or Lyft of the uh, lodging industry where basically anybody that has a room or a house or a duplex or almost anything that somebody could domicile in for uh, a short or even extended period of time can uh, match with somebody looking to stay in something and the it, it, it answers a lot of uh, supply questions for things like the Masters in Augusta or Georgia football games in the beautiful city of Athens or um, I guess CDC uh, conferences around the Emory area whatever you can think of where there'd be a, a glut of rooms uh, needed. But uh, you had predicted that Airbnb would be something uh, that the legislature was going to take a look at. It didn't come up this uh, – it came up uh, in study groups and works, work sessions, but n- I never saw a bill come up. But I'm actually seeing uh, – 
some uh, furor online now about people that live in neighborhoods and living next to what they've called an Airbnb house and some of the problems that you predicted uh, la- la- uh, the, la- during the last show have manifested. So wanted to see uh, what your uh, feelings are about Airbnb and uh, some of these other um, t- lodging things and uh, what role the government should play, state government in particular, in regulating these. Well, I should first disclose that I've got a reservation for later this month or next month, I can't remember, um, going down to uh, Darien to spend a couple times down there. And it looks like a it's a great way, from my perspective, to find lodging in a place that's not as touristy as a St. Simons Island that may not have uh, established ways of finding rentals. And, and I certainly sympathize. Um, I know people who have... Uh, you know, who, who pay part of their mortgage through their Airbnb uh, mm-hmm. income. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, I understand that it's, it's a great source of revenue to some folks, but anyone who has lived next to a college, re- to a house rented by college kids, um, or has, <laughs> has ever been to Mardi Gras in New Orleans <laughs> will kind of understand, uh, the, the concerns of some of the neighbors. Um, and I, I think, what you really have is is two levels of concerns. Mm-hmm. One is, you know, these calm existing neighborhoods. You maybe have a neighborhood in Buckhead or in Brookhaven that's just purely residential. Right. That now you get one or two houses that, because we're close to sort of a hot spot, um, become popular for folks from out of town to come spend spring break or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and when you're living next to a house or a set of homes that that changes the character of your neighborhood overnight, that really can affect not just your day to day life, but the value of of your largest investment, which for most folks is their home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other problem is, or the other issue is, these folks who will get. Uh, you know, blocks of condos or blocks of apartments in the same building and almost be running a, a mini hotel. Um, and, you know, whether it's because they're competing with other folks or whatever, there are a number of regulatory issues or, or legal issues that have to be looked at. There are some folks who end up getting their homes damaged and they end mm-hmm. up with a with an insurance claim. Um you you being in the mortgage business is your primary uh, primary business until this radio catapults you over the Clark Howards and Rush Limbaugh's <laughs> of the world. Um, probably know that most mortgages contain some restrictions on what you can and can't yep. do with your home. Um, if you had a young couple or, or any age couple come into you as a mortgage broker and say, hey, we're looking to get a mortgage for a house and we're going to pay the mortgage with the funds that come in from Airbnb. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that raises red flags, but it's certainly a new situation that has to be considered. Right. Um, And and so there's a raft of issues that the question has been so far is, is it time yet to discuss this? Um, I don't think, you know, last year some of these, these issues started, coming up, what it's really going to take is for them to become a little bit more widespread and, frankly, for a problem to crop up in the neighborhood of (laughs) 
maybe a legislative leader. Um, if if the Speaker of the House's uh, next door neighbor mm-hmm. turned his house into a rental, uh, you know, college kids party place, that might spur some action. Um, but I, I think we're getting to a we're going to be getting in the next few years to a critical mass where some kind of a systematic look has to be taken at this or else you're going to have cities and counties start looking at ways to zone this or mm-hmm. ways to um, ways to deal with it. Well, and that's You've what also I... got some other issues like, uh, you know, does do these homes have to be handicap accessible in the same way that a hotel room mm-hmm. would? Do they have to have the same kind of fire protections that a hotel would? Yeah, well, and, and and that's the I guess the question I have is okay. Do we do we let the localities regulate these in Athens, uh, where where uh, where I went to school for uh, twelve years? I mean, four years. Um, I uh, I graduated in four years, guys. The, the twelve is a joke, but uh, the uh, they've already regulated it somewhat uh, and said no more than two unrelated people can uh, live in the same house. And I'm sure that students are trying to get around that all the time, but that's actually on the books. Uh, in regards to some of these parties, one of the complaints I saw the other night about somebody that lives next to an Airbnb house is that there's drug activity, uh, prostitute, who knows what's going on. It's bad stuff. And I'm pretty sure that stuff is already covered by the law. So perhaps what needs to be done is the owners of these properties need to check the fine print and realize that they are ultimately responsible for what goes on and that maybe some of these investigations of these illegal uh, activities, the the actual owner of the house needs to be held culpable for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know when the last time you tried to call 911 in DeKalb County was. Uh, you know, if, if they're only there for a weekend, chances are they'll be long gone along with their drugs or whatever else they're doing before the police show up. Um, and, and in the meantime, you're creating a new expense center for the policing that, that ends up being paid for by all the taxpayers, um, you know, in terms of chasing these party houses down. Uh, you know, it's a complicated issue, and sometimes legislatures are not the, not the best bodies to get workable yeah. answers to complicated issues um well i mean i think I, there's two there's two angles on it right the hotel motel industry is feeling the pinch because they feel like they're losing revenue and that they're not having to uh they're not competing fairly because some of the i mean to me a rental house you don't need a license to rent out a house if i if i want to put 25 percent down on a house in grant park or wherever i want i i don't need to beg government's permission to rent it out so we need to uh, to certainly look at long term rentals versus a short term rental and distinguish it if it is a problem. I I err on the side of caution and say as little regulation as possible until something does become a nuisance. And at that point, you know, a city like Brookhaven, which has their own police force, or uh, or like Atlanta or the Buckhead area, I think they're going to have plenty of activity uh, and, and plenty of coverage from a police force that can come and, and give noise ordinances. I've been at, at parties in uh, in Shambly and other places. This is back when I was younger, uh, where we, you know, had the cops show up and say your music 
music is a little bit too loud, turn it down, and here's a hundred and fifty dollar ticket. So I'm not. I don't buy the argument that the police are too busy uh, to cover some of these uh, nuisance complaints. Um, you know, especially if there is potential for all sorts of illegal activities going on that uh, that need to be addressed anyway. Then let me ask you again seriously. Two questions. Okay. One is when is the if you think the police have plenty of time. When is the last time you called nine one one in DeKalb County? I, I I haven't. I don't I don't call nine one one. I I, I solved the problem myself. Vigilante. Okay, stuff. I can tell you the last time <laughs> I called nine one one. It was actually my wife. She got in a car accident last weekend. Okay. Um, she got hung up on four times before she got connected to a live human being. Was that DeKalb um, or you know the, the police resources in this county are not in your county where you live <laughs> are are not as <laughs> not. They're not going to take care of these. They're not going to go issue noise violations in Toco Hills on a Friday night mm-hmm. when they've got shootings in other places in the county. Yeah. Well, I guess, but, well, who's going to enforce the regulation anyway then? I mean, you know, if we don't have the resources to enforce on a local level, we're going to create a brand new state, uh, you know, organization to bust uh, air, illegal Airbnbs? No, what I think is going to happen is I, I think you're going to see some, some nuisance lawsuits uh, brought by lawyers against their neighbors. That's uh, what, I, that's what uh, I think is going to happen. And, and that's what I think is, is ultimately going to, going to spur some action is when you see, some, uh, you know, when you see somebody uh, in Brookhaven, I think the most likely answer is that the lawyer down the street gets, gets furious and he files lawsuits <laughs> against the owner of the house. Uh. Um, I, I think that's so. In, that's in, probably in in in, in 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 yuppie land, the uh, the attorneys will uh, will will solve the problem. Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit dot com, really enjoyed it today. Uh, covered a lot of issues from the federal to the state to uh, regulating some of these disruptive uh, technology companies, or should we? So I appreciate you calling in today. Uh, replay of the show beyond tonight at six p.m. You can always find podcast uh, updates at Greg's List on AmericasWebRadio.com. We'll see you next week. Thanks, as always, for listening.